Hello and welcome to Bonnets at Dawn, the podcast that pits Jane Austen against the Bronte sisters, except for one week where blah 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 blah. <laughs> da 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 da. Brown brown brown. Lauren, put your drink down. Sorry. Welcome to Bonnets at Dawn, the podcast that pits Jane Austen against the Bronte sisters and also sometimes talks about other authors. I am your host, Hannah Chapman, Team Austen. And I am your host, Lauren Burke, Team Bronte, except this week we are not going to talk about Austen or Bronte. I don't even think they're going to come up in the notes, Hannah. I don't think I even have like one mention of them. Are you kidding? I'm bringing Austen up. All right. Well, you'll find a way. You'll find a way. I believe in you. Um, Life will find a way every time. <laughs> right? Jane Austen will find a way every time. Um, this week, we are talking about Kate Chopin. So let me ask you, are you familiar with Kate at all? No. Okay. I cannot say that I am. Okay. I know our, our American listeners, well, the ones that are in our Facebook group anyway, they um, they know Kate very well. You definitely would have read like The Awakening or Story of an Hour, like along with the yellow wallpaper in your feminist okay. lit class. So, okay, okay. Um, I think actually we read the Story of an Hour right after we read um, the yellow wallpaper in class, which is very easy to do because the Story of an Hour is like a thousand words. So, yeah. Oh yeah, super short. Yeah, so it's a good sort of in class assignment. Um, so we're going to talk about that this week. Before we get to her writing, though, let me just give you a little background on Kate. So she was born in 1850 in St. Louis. Oh, that's, uh, what, 85 years after Jane Austen? <laughs> <laughs> little, little bit, little ways after. See, I did it. I got her in. You got her mm-hmm. in. Good, good job. You get a cookie <laughs> after the show ends. Thank you. <laughs> So her mother was um, of French descent and her father was Irish. Her uh, maiden name, actually, I believe, was O'Flaherty. She was raised Roman Catholic and graduated from the Sacred Heart Convent in 1868. So shortly after, she met a dude named Oscar Chopin, and he was from Louisiana. Where's they went Louisiana? ahead. You know Louisiana? It's in the south. Oh, is that's where Kentucky is? Further south. <laughs> Oh, we passed through it. Not at all. Oh, it's what? it's down there. Um, it's down there with like. <sighs> did we pass through Indiana? Yes, we did. Okay, okay thank you. <laughs> <laughs> You're thinking of Indiana, very different state. Louisville. Sorry, that's right what I'm... in Kentucky. Right. Good. Yeah, yeah. Louisiana. Louisiana and Louisville and Indiana are getting kind of confused Just in my confused. head. This yeah, might help. Um, so Kate married Oscar in 1870, really quickly, like after they met and after she had graduated from school. Um, they did a honeymoon tour that took them through, which I don't know why I found this kind of amusing. Cincinnati, Philly, New York, Germany, Switzerland, and France. <laughs> I don't know, oh. the Cincinnati just threw me off in there. Because it's like, why would you go to Cincinnati? Unclear. I'm just kidding. I have heard of it, but I don't know where it's. I'm going to send you just like a map of the U.S. too. Just framed as a gift. You're going to love it. Thank you. (laughs) (laughs) It's big. I know there's. It's a big, it's, it's a big place. Um, Cincinnati, very different to New Orleans, which is where they settled. And also, so this is 1870s. Um, this is during Reconstruction. Now, do you know what Reconstruction is? Of course I don't. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so this is this like really violent and bloody period um, after the Civil War in the American South. Well, really the whole country, to be honest, was kind of still, the tension was still there from the Civil War. It takes a while to get over a Civil War, honestly. <laughs> Yeah. And um, this is when the like 11 Confederate states were still sort of undergoing this this reformation after slavery had ended. 
basically. Okay. How do we how do we do this basically? And what's funny is I feel like in school it's like the Civil War happened, the North won, everything was fine, slavery was ended, you know? But Yeah. No, it was it was kind of a rough period of time afterwards. Um I bring this up for reasons because this is an ugly period of time in the um, in American history. We can talk about this later on the sh- in the show. Um, but I will say this in Kentucky when we were at the Jane Austen Festival and we talked a lot about, you know, why Americans sort of look to like the English Regency period or just, you know, Victorian period and sort of, you know, idealize it in a way. Yeah. And I was talking about how American history is like very ugly. And because of slavery, because it's so present, right? It's right in our faces. Yeah, which is something that I I know that, well, I don't know that it'll end up in our road trip um, episode, but Mm -hmm. uh, I definitely felt like the lack of the representation of slavery at the Jane Austen Festival Right, and that's because it was re- everyone was reenacting England, but right. as a Brit, as a Brit in s- the southern states of America at an event which is like historical, it was really I felt like I was on a trip because I was just like, "What is happening?" Right, because you're right like, "Hey, because why just, are all these Americans reenacting?" In yeah, exactly. Why are all these Americans reenacting British history? Why aren't they reenacting like their own history? It didn't and even occur to me, even though it was the Jane Austen Festival, I was looking at everyone and I was like, isn't it funny how we're all reenacting America, but not acknowledging slavery? And I think Mary had to be like, Hannah, everyone's reenacting England. Right. I was like, oh, right. No, you're right. Oh. But I kept exactly. having to remind, because I'm not, because it wasn't in England. It felt like, right, it because- felt like it wasn't England. It felt like America. Right, because it looks like America. Everyone's American. Yeah. And so I was just like, what is, I don't know. I felt like weird. What a wonderfully weird thing to experience. Very strange. I, I, I would totally feel the same way if I were in England and people were reenacting a period of like American history. Which- I'm going to take you to an event where um, there is a American Civil War event in oh, Wales. And I met a Belgian reenactor. So he flew over from Belgium to reenact the American Civil War in Wales. Oh, it's God. It's so odd. It's, <laughs> it's so odd. It's really odd. Yeah. Well, I will say, you know, not that we don't have our own Civil War reenactors, like we, we certainly do. But I think that, you know, in terms of like literature and why like maybe Regency literature is so popular is that. We do, and not and not to say that there isn't like, you know, there aren't romances that take place in America during this time, but I would say that popularity wise, like Regency England kind of like wins. And I think that is because we can sort of look over some of these uglier pieces of, you know, or parts of our history. Just a theory. <laughs> mm. So I just wanted to bring this up like for that reason, because I'm like, oh, here's an opportunity for me to be like, Hannah, this was a really bad place to be. <laughs> Yeah. It's a really interesting place to be, but like a really, yeah, rough place to be. Like, for instance, um, you know, in New Orleans, Oscar became a cotton broker. So um, and he also joined the White Man's League. Oh, no. Yeah. That doesn't sound like a good league. I'm like, do I have to explain the White Man's League? Probably not. No, I think I've got the it's like a bowling team, right? Exactly. Um. They had six children. Okay. Pretty pretty quickly, um, right after they married, um, they kind of settled down. New Orleans had these six kids. They had, you know, a lot of money. They vacationed very well. They were living the good life. Um, at this point, Kate is pretty firmly, you know, housewife. Very busy with those six children. I don't know how she did it, honestly. Um, in 1879, things start to get pretty shaky for them financially. Um, Oscar ends up leaving his job or losing his job as a cotton broker and he opens up a general store and is sort of helping maintain or manage several plantations. Okay. 
Um, then in 1882, Oscar dies of malaria. Good. Yeah. So Kate's 32. She's left mm-hmm. with about $42,000 uh, worth of debt by her husband. So I think roughly in today's money, that's maybe close to half a million. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> not great. Not a great that's situation. Just, that shit escalated. Yeah, it's not good. So she's 32. She's got six kids and she's broke. Yeah. Um, I did read that for a while she tried to maintain the general store. Mm-hmm. And unconfirmed, not sure, but there are reports that she may have like had a, an affair with a married man. Oh. And that may have like sort of driven her off. Um, in any case, yeah. she she did leave. She left and she went back to... Uh, St. Louis and moved back in with her mother and brought her kids with her, obviously. Um, well, you kind of need the support, single mom raising yeah. six kids. And, and her like parents century. seemed to have a decent amount of money, so they were able to sort of support her, help her pay off, you know, work towards paying off her debts. And then, um, yeah, just like able to, you know, to support her in the way that she needed. But that didn't last too, too long because then her mother like suddenly passes away. Oh, my gosh. I know. So it's just not a good situation. Right. So she falls into like a very deep depression and um, she's encouraged by her friends to sort of like to help her get out of this depression to start writing. Um, So she starts writing and she kind of is like, well, let me turn this into a career. And I kind of bring this up because, again, I do always like busting the myth of like just the artist, you know, just like mm-hmm. the, yeah, like hobbyist. the hobbyist. Like she's like, okay, let me make some money because I got this giant debt and I have six kids and I need it. Yeah, definitely. So she ends up writing uh, two novels. We'll talk a little bit about The Awakening and At Fault. And um, then she wrote like, I think like a hundred short stories, tons of them. And tons of them are available online for free to read. Um, The one that we're going to talk about is probably her most well-known story. And that is the story of an hour. And this was your first time reading it, right? Yeah, that was also my cue to say that it was my first time reading it, wasn't it? Sorry. (laughs) (laughs) No, that's okay. I missed my cue. I missed my mark, ladies and gentlemen. I'm not a pro. Yeah, this is uh, my very first time reading it. In true Hannah fashion, I actually um, didn't like 100% take in the title when I read mm-hmm. it. So I was just like, Lauren, this this story feels really fast. And then you go, yeah, the story of an hour feels really fast. I was like, <laughs> oh, hang on. I think I understand what has happened. <laughs> But it so. almost kind of feels slow because she does really break down like thought by thought. You do feel like uh, you're just well, in her we'll head talk, with her. We'll talk about it. Sure. We'll well, talk what's about it about, reaction. Hannah? Hannah, what's it so about? This, the story of an hour is the story of the hour after um, this woman hears the news that her husband has been involved in this rager, uh, rager, major rail accident and has been killed. Uh, she is suffering from a heart condition and so I think it's her sister and then this friend of her husband are like trying to break the news to her very very gently and at first she kind of like cry, uh, cries and rails against it and then she takes herself off to her room and slowly begins to comprehend that she can live uh, a fully independent life without not only without her husband but kind of just living for her it doesn't seem like she's got children mm-hmm. so for the, I imagine for the first time in this woman's life, because she'll have gone from her parents' home to her husband's home, right. she'll have independence, she'll be able to make choices that really only affect her. Uh, she is then persuaded to go downstairs only to see her husband walking through the door and dying uh, on the spot, basically. And then, yeah, and that's the story. She, she's dead at the end. Yeah, super fast. Super yeah, quick. happens real quick. Yeah, I mean, like I said, it's only a thousand words. Um, that's probably because it was written for a magazine. Yeah, a lot of her, a lot of her stories are that way. Um, I don't know. I think I'm just first... wondering does it does it um does it fit the category of flash fiction rather than a short story? Mm, what is flash fiction? Is it is it five hundred to a thousand somewhere around there? 
Uh, flash fiction can be shorter than can... 500 yeah, words. Yeah, that's true. Um, Raymond be. Carver writes flash fiction, doesn't he? Yeah. It could, yeah, it could be flash fiction, actually. I've got a feeling that... Uh... Oh, no, look. No, I'm wrong. Guys, I'm not. I'm trying to I'm trying to find like really quickly the length of it. You could probably I'm really sorry to make you cut this bit out. No, it's fine. The uh, length of flash fiction. Yeah. Many of them the six word story, the two hundred and eighty character story, also known as Twitter shit. Oh shut up. <laughs> the dribble, um, the mini so fifty words, the drabble, microfiction, a hundred words, sudden fiction, seven hundred and fifty words, flash fiction, one thousand words. Yeah, so flash fiction is by definition a thousand words. Oh wow, I like that. What was the one before flash fiction? Sudden, Sudden fiction? fiction. Yeah, I once did a project where, where um I wrote a series of fifty word stories about myself. Oh, send them yeah. over, Hannah. I want to read them. Oh, they're dreadful. I'm sure. No, I'm, I'm sure, sure that was great. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, doing it all for effect. Mm. 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 Yeah, look, in the United States, early forms of flash fiction can be found in the 19th century, notably in the figures of Walt Whitman, Ambrose Bierce, and Kate Chopin. Oh, Kate was actually uh, mentioned there. Yeah, in this Wikipedia article. Guess where she wasn't mentioned in my flash fiction class at university. Fail. Raymond Carver was, but um, not, not Kate. Yeah, Chauvin. mention the ladies in there. Um, I'm trying to remember how much she was paid for this story. I want to say it was $25. That was the going rate for some flash fiction. I'd take $25 for a thousand words. Yeah. Um, and that's in today's money. In today's money. And then what would that be in pounds? Probably like, what, 17 pounds? Yeah. Yeah. Not very much. Not very much. Um, so, yeah. I... Uh, haven't read this in a while probably like i don't know god 16 years or something like that and i was trying to remember what like baby lauren thought about this piece Mm -hmm. um i do remember in my class like it getting a better reaction than the yellow wallpaper from like the dudes in the class yeah um like they thought it was clever. Like everyone loved how clever it was with like that ending, that like sort of like, you know, that use of irony. Yeah. Well, cause it's so the last line says that she has died of joy. And I think the assumption of the characters is that she's died at the joy of seeing her husband still alive. But actually it's kind of joy extinguished when she realizes that this independent life is, is not. Yeah, it's over. The joy that kills. Yeah, the joy that kills. Um, yeah, I just like, I think a lot of people were really taken with how clever it was, but I just actually felt really depressed about it. <laughs> like, I was like, oh, that sucks for her. Um, I know that we've like talked about this on the show before, and um, this is a good example of it. You know, like when people talk about like racism or misogyny, mm-hmm. and we think about it like in terms of the extreme. Yeah. Like, you know, the yellow wallpaper is extreme. This man has, like, locked up his wife. <laughs> yeah. It's, like, an extreme yeah, situation. Yeah. Um, whereas, like, the story of an hour is, like, just very subtle. Like, I don't think Louise, who's the main character, I don't think she's necessarily in a bad marriage or anything like that. I don't think that she's being abused or that her husband is necessarily an asshole. Um, no, and it says it says um, that sometimes she loves him, but more yeah. often she doesn't. This is just yeah. she's just not in love with her husband. This is a marriage of convenience, right? This right, is... and probably like you said before, was the only option available to her, or really, you know, this woman well, that didn't really know she had at that time that she may have then spent the rest of her years thinking like maybe, you know, what if I'd held out for just like six more months or like one more year? Like you never know yeah. who or just you might like... have met women of that time like what options do you have it's funny like when i read romance novels i always do get like really excited by like and especially like i read a lot of regency era romance hello um i love like a like a widow because a widow is like like, given her like a woman with freedom in that time yeah absolutely and also um something like even before the regency um something that i think 
people don't often talk about is like even in medieval times um a widow was often allowed to continue her husband's business mm-hmm. so the widow of a shipwright so someone who like ran a shipyard or something would often then run the shipyard after her husband because she would have been his support she would have helped him with the day-to-day managing of it and this isn't the case all the time but there there certainly are examples of um men in trade um mm-hmm who yeah their their widows kind of took it on and, and continued the business but you'd have to be a widow for that to happen right like you couldn't just be like i'm a female shipyard here i go it's like i'm the widow of um, a shipyard right shipman. Well, right on point i mean that's what happened to kate right yeah exactly. i doubt yeah. i doubt a woman could have just opened a general store in like reconstruction era new orleans like of her own volition during that time i could be wrong but i think it would be massively difficult yeah um but yeah no like exactly i just i I gravitate towards the widow so i don't know i was just really sad i think when i read it the first time and this this time i was also sad um i don't know how did how did you feel about it before i jump into Uh, my next thing i think i know i'm sorry everyone's gonna I, th- I think I don't like her writing. <laughs> I feel really bad saying it. Um, something that really put me off this story was the ending. Ooh, okay. It well, let's talk about that. Way, way too neat, too clever. Mm-hmm. Like, just like, haha, I've wrapped it up in like this like little funny bit at the end. It's not like funny, but like it's clever. It's like, oh, I don't know. I just, I just it felt too smart, like a bit gimmicky. And something that I really loved about the yellow wallpaper, it might not seem like I loved that short story, guys, but it's like living in me. The yellow wallpaper, like I'm the woman in the wallpaper now. Like <laughs> I, that story, that is a story that I will carry with me for the rest of my life. Mm-hmm. And I will recommend to people and I'll talk about it. I'm unlikely to recommend this to someone. Like maybe I need to spend some more time with it, but it just, it just kind of didn't leave me with anything and something that I worry about is whether or not this is some kind of like internalized misogyny so maybe like I don't like it because it's smart and women's writing shouldn't be like I don't know I don't know if that's it I just it didn't like it didn't leave me cold but I'm not like buzzing you know sure and that's my reaction I'm just like I wish I had a reaction but I was just like (laughs) Well, this is a story that it was really fast. It happened quickly. Well, I think, too, if you look behind, like, what were, what were the, the agendas, right, for both stories? So Charlotte Perkins Gilman, not to be confused with Bronte, when she's writing um, the yellow wallpaper, she's got an agenda, right? Like, that's just like, yeah. I'm going to show this man how I felt. And it's a banger of a story. Um. Kate, when she's writing the story of an hour, she's writing it for Vogue. Yeah, and it's just like, a, it's just a piece, isn't it? It's a job. Yeah. It's a job. And I would have yeah. said, like, so here's actually something interesting about the ending, because I'm not, like, wild about the ending either. I actually just wish that the husband remained dead and that she lived <laughs> and that you just are left with this, like, unsettling feeling, right? But um, I wouldn't, I wouldn't even, I wouldn't even mind if she died. It's just like, I I get it like I get what she's died from like I don't need that little line like she died of a joy that kills I don't Mm -hmm. like it's a nice line but it feels like a line it doesn't feel like it doesn't feel authentic maybe it it feels very I mean it feels shopped right it feels like her and the editor really worked this over for Vogue I'm thinking yeah it feels just a bit just like yeah it's too done it's just too yeah it's too polished i don't know well here's a thing that biographer emily toth says uh, like in her book unveiling kate chopin was that chopin had to make her heroine die in order to make the story publishable mm-hmm. um kate okay. had to disguise reality she had to have her heroine die a story in which a unhappy wife is suddenly widowed becomes rich and lives happily ever after that would have been much too radical, too far threatening in the 1890s. There were limits yeah. to what editors would publish and what an audience would accept. So it's almost like a little 
fuck you. Because like they're saying, yeah, like, yeah. you have to punish this woman for contemplating yes. her freedom. So then it's like, well, she's going to die. But then there's almost this sarcastic like undercurrent. Yeah, like that's I what killed I kind her, of like... but guess what? She's dead because she doesn't want her husband to be alive and she's bummed. Yes. So like knowing that full story kind of like makes me like this story. Cause I feel the same way about like about it that you do. Like I like read it and I was like, this is too clever. I don't know, it feels too worked over. And then I, like I read the, the story, story behind it, it and I was like, this is interesting. Okay. Like that is interesting, right? But that doesn't make me like show fans writing. Sure, anymore. that's fair. Yeah. Because like We'll talk about it as well in a minute, but the next piece that we read again, I had like, I was like, I get it, but I'm not in love with it. And I don't know, like, that's just like a feeling, isn't it? Sometimes you've mm-hmm. got it and like, sometimes you connect to a piece and sometimes you don't. And this is like, and it doesn't happen a lot because I feel like a lot of the stuff that we've covered in this show, it's like, wow, this is great. Well, wow, I wasn't expecting to like this. And this is kind of the first thing that I've read where I've been like, well, do you think too, and we will talk about this a little bit with the next piece, the storm, it's distinctly southern and like beyond southern, it's distinctly like it's from New Orleans, which is a world of its own. You know? No. And so I, don't I, think I wondered if it was too of location. Removed. And we will talk about location, but I don't think that that is the problem with the hour because I don't think you get any location of this story. Well, I, the storm in particular. But the yeah, storm with in the hour, but yeah. not with not with the hour like at all. I don't think that's the case. But we'll talk about the storm in a minute. Okay. We'll talk about the storm in a minute. So <laughs> wait, there is one bit I did like, I should just say. Okay. It's like because like I did like a lot of it, it just like I don't know it's just like I'm not wildly in love with it mm-hmm. but something that I really liked is this line she did not hear the story as many women have heard the same with a paralyzed inability to accept its significance and I thought that was just like a really like kind of subtle way of kind of getting across how ready this woman is to accept that her husband has died mm-hmm. like many women would have heard it with a paralyzed inability to accept its significance. Like, no, he couldn't have, you, you must be mistaken. And she's just like, okay, he's dead. Like, and then goes off, you know, to her room. She has that like cry where she kind of gets it all out. And it's almost like that's as much emotion as she has. So I really like that initial reaction to it. I was like, yes. And then that was the one bit I really liked. I like that quote too, actually. I underlined it. And it reminds me of Margaret Hale. Oh, good call. Good call on the Hale. Thanks. Well, a couple more things about the story of an hour. Um, Just say again, published for Vogue in 1894. Um, Initially titled The Dream of an Hour. Okay. And then it was republished in 80, or sorry, uh, 1895. under the story of an hour and like in her notes it's written as the story of an hour so people tend to just yeah um in the vogue version so there's like a couple differences in the vogue version so that makes me think that it was really worked over by the editor yeah so that's why i kind of like i'm i find the story really interesting and i like that you kind of pointed out the like subtle fuck yous because i think that the story i just wonder like what the initial draft was yeah, because we have a title change. Um, we have a couple different sentences as well. So in the Vogue version, this sentence appears. There would be no one to live for during these coming years. She would live for herself. And then in the reprint, it's listed as there would be no one to live for her during those coming years. She would live for herself. But I think your emphasis is wrong. Like, so I and I will say I haven't okay. read these. I haven't remember this. No, I, I I agree that the significance is really interesting. But the word that you've I would hi, I would bold a different word. So in the first one, if it's there would be no one to live for during these coming years, she would have to live herself. And then you've got there would be no one to live for her. But it, I I would read it as there would be no one to live for her for her so her husband is living for her so he's going out and he's like 
he's like experiencing all of the things and mm-hmm. like has all of the agency and the freedom he can go and do all of this and like almost in the way that mr rochester does to jane uh to jane Eyre, right he's like telling her about the world so it's like a man going out and experience everything and like passing that back to her and then this is her opportunity to go and do all of those things for herself right right it's a very interesting line reading that you have there because it's Oh, it's something that I'm going to talk about in a future episode as well. <laughs> Damn it. I'm like, should I bring it up now? Oh, oh. But kind of the line reading in um, in Wuthering Heights. Of, yeah. Uh, he's more myself than I am. Oh, that's how. Sh- yeah. Tune in next week. Turn it. Tune in next week. <laughs> tune in next week. That's in the show notes for next episode. <laughs> but the agency. Yeah. That's very interesting. I like that. We're a mess today, guys. We are. Just so many thoughts. So many thoughts and things to to say. Well, that's <laughs> great, though, that the story of an hour has unlocked that. That makes it worthy to talk about, doesn't it? You know? Yeah, that's Like, it's true. not the most banging feminist short story, right? Like, it's not just, it's not obvious the way that the yellow wallpaper is. Yeah. But there's all these little things that, like, get you thinking. So what did other people say? Because we posted this in the old Facebook group, didn't we? But it was we quiet. Did. I felt like people didn't have like so much to to share with us with the story. I know, really, really quiet. Well, first we have to um, thank Mary Pagonis for actually um, suggesting this one because I completely forgot about Kate Chopin. I got to be honest. I was like, oh yeah, oh yeah. <laughs> um, and she said, weirdly enough, I first encountered this when I was very young in the form of a television adaptation. And that she oh. ended up actually reading the short story afterwards. I found that tel- uh, that adaptation. It's called The Joy That Kills. It's on YouTube. It's posted in our Facebook group. It's it's interesting. <laughs> give it give it a watch, guys. Okay, uh, Shantae and Andrea are big fans of The Awakening, which is uh, Chopin's most popular novel. So again, that might be something that we cover on the show next year. We uh, probably will have a vote just to go through what books we have or what books you think we should cover, because certainly Lauren and I have not read or know every book that's good in the world. So always keep sending us your thoughts because we love discovering them like this one. And definitely, if we were playing our suppression bingo, this one gets a big tick because um, all the critics called it vulgar. She shouldn't have written it. Not not appropriate for a lady. Well, then we should definitely stuff. read it if it's yeah. vulgar. I like, uh, and I like that vulgar, just, just another word for coarse. Kate's vulgar and the Brontes are coarse. Now, if you guys want to read the story of an hour or, you know, just any of um, Kate's short stories, you can go to katechopin.org. Very easy. Um, That's where I went ahead and read The Storm, which was um, another one of her shorts. But this one was not in vogue. It was actually not published during her lifetime due to the explicit sexual content. So I read that and I was like, yeah, I want to read The Storm. Yeah, I'm there. I'm there for the explicit sexual content. Yeah. It's like, I want something vulgar and dirty. Um, This one kind of reminded me a little bit of the story of an hour. Just, I like the way that Chopin's like playing with time here. Mm -hmm. Um, All of the events take place during a particularly brutal thunderstorm. And it starts off with a father and son at a general store. And they're just, you know, waiting out the storm their mom is back at home doing laundry when she sees sort of like a former former beau kind of pass by on his horse. He takes shelter from the storm and then they have a they have a fling. They do. They have a fling. They have a little fling. So also like the story of an hour. It's just like a woman stepping outside of herself. Um, And I think, you know, just sort of imagining like with any affair, it's almost like you're imagining what your life could have been. Mm-hmm. So I kind of found it. It's, it's interesting. It's also very short as well. Yeah, this one's also really short. Maybe another bit of flash fiction. I didn't get a word count on that one. I don't know. How did you feel about this one? This is very Southern. 
Okay, so I'm going to be super pedantic now, super pedantic, and mm-hmm. say uh, technically the story doesn't all take place during the storm uh, because part part of the story is before the storm and part of the story is after the storm. Sure. And I think it centers around the storm. It centers around the storm, but not it's not all during. And I think that's really specific because the only description of anything we get during the storm is the affair. Mm-hmm. So, um, the storm happens when Calixta and Algi—I don't know how you say his name. Ouch. Um, I would say that there's probably a French. Yeah, knowing that it's from New Orleans, I'll, I'll say or something along those I'll lines. Say. So when the- I, I could be I, that that sounds probably terror that probably is way off. When those dudes are banging, right? Um, mm. the storm's happening, but it's kind of like the idea that before before that happens we have the information about the husband and then after the storm we kind of go back to her husband and child and then we have the kind of conclusion to the story which is everyone moving on and everything just goes back to normal and he writes to his wife and he's like hey babe you stay out of town with the kids and she's like okay fine I don't want to have sex with you anyway (laughs) and so like everything kind of goes back to normal in the way that a storm will come in and everything will be happening and violent and turbulent and intense and then it leaves and all that's left are like some puddles but they'll dry up right Right. and so i really what what do you call it when the weather um prophetic fallacy i believe is the term for when um the weather mimics what's happening in the story so i think that's Mm -hmm. like a really cool example of that yeah um i will say that the husband really broke my heart (laughs) when when he buys the can of shrimp Oh I, yeah, I, he's worried about his wife. But he can't do anything, so he just buys this can of shrimp because because he knows that she likes it. And then they walk home for ages in the mud. And then he's like stressing because he is muddy and his child is muddy, and right. just worrying about getting back. Um, and something that I thought was really interesting was the play with power. So the fact that, ouch, I'll I'll say. Uh, we're just kind of it's really hard we're probably off pronounce words because i'm so obnoxious when other people can't (laughs) (laughs) so i'm like very aware in this moment um but yeah he's on a horseback and so he's elevated he's out of the mud um a horse would suggest financial independence um to me at least and i'll explain more about that in a second but her husband is downtrodden he's in the mud he's in on the ground he's Mm -hmm. like a worker like a lower class maybe and then this guy comes in on the horse lover boy instant bad lad status right because he rides in on a horse and he rides out on a horse right (laughs) he does and he can afford for his wife is what she's off in a resort so yeah you just you immediately know that he's in a different class when he rides up yeah and i loved like i really liked that i thought that was just like clever like that i got what Mm -hmm. i found impossible with this story was where it was set because it doesn't tell you and so and all of my all of my knowledge of america right is one i've been to the midwest and was there for a while but Mm -hmm. uh, until this year i'd never been further south than like the very top of indiana and like the top of ohio um and so i was just sat there reading it like is she American? Where do they speak French in America? And I was like, yeah. right, Gambit from the X-Men speaks French. Where's is he <laughs> from New Orleans? And then I was like, well, the princess and the he frog is. is set in New Orleans. Yeah. And like people, like there's the little bug called little firefly called uh what's his name? I can't remember his name, but I know who you're talking about. You know who I'm talking about. So they're all they're Ray- Raymond, but he says Raymond. Mm-hmm. right because yeah. he's like Amer- american french right so, and then I was, I was just like right new orleans where's new orleans it's in the south it's hot do they speak french anywhere else and so so much of my energy was spent one trying to figure out what people were called two trying to figure out what the hell people were saying and sure. three trying to place this in time and location so i was i was out of it like i couldn't hear it well, I, I see it. I could see the horse. I started to picture of mice and men. Okay. I was all over the place with this story. 
I mean, that's what I was going to say. Like, New Orleans is very specific. So this is, you know, a really interesting place for her to take inspiration from um, mm-hmm. compared to, like, St. Louis. Because St. Louis would be, be pretty, I don't know. Sorry, guys from St. Louis. It's uh, it's not that exciting. Um, <laughs> but there's a film with Judy Garland called Meet Me in St. Louis. Sure. Which I've right. never seen. Um, I know nothing about. It's on TCM at, you know, during Christmas all the time. Is it Christmas? I don't know. I have it on in the background. She I'm not interested it. in it. I guys, okay. I have you to say, you hate St. Louis. I'm not a fan of St. Louis, guys. Right. Well. We almost moved there when I was a kid, and then we didn't. That's the most interesting thing about St. <laughs> Louis. So, um, no, I, you know, St. Or New Orleans, very interesting city. A big cultural clash down there. You know, you've mm-hmm. got French, you've got a lot of Irish, got Spanish. It's just, it's all over the map. So it's, you know, during this age, and this is why I'm kind of interested in reading a little bit more Chopin, it's just like a crazy clash of cultures and it's all a bunch of stuff going on. It's probably, it's one of the most interesting places in the United States, honestly. I mean, I really liked season three of American Horror Story. Well, I have no idea what happens in that season. But it's set in New Orleans. There you go. Um... I will say in fairness to this short story, although this wasn't published during her lifetime, it, it, I believe is in or part of the collection or was meant to be part of the collection for Bayou Folk. So this would have been a bunch of short stories that were all set, okay. you know, in this, this time and place. Um, but yeah, I would imagine that it would be hard for you to sort of wrap your head around, but I'm kind of glad that you did because it's like, I think people get, you know, in their heads that America is one thing. Yeah. And we're, we're not. We're so big. We're so diverse. And so I think this is a really, it's like worth looking at her work, you know, for that reason. Yeah, definitely. But, um, but yeah, maybe we should, maybe we should revisit some of her short stories in the future. She's got tons of them. Tons of them are online. I love the best in the short story because they're so short. Yeah. It's good, right? <laughs> Although we barely, I mean, guys, we scratched the surface of these two. Oh, yeah, totally. Like, for example, I really felt like the descriptions of Calixto were very male gazy. Ooh. They so, were, like, they it's, were a bit. Um, like, her white neck, how her breasts are even whiter, how she looked white against the couch. Mm-hmm. And to see her looking, that suggests that he's, like, looking down at her. Mm-hmm. So I felt like all of the descriptions felt like they were coming from like old, I want to call him Algernon. That's like my little British, British fied version of his name, Al- Algie. Al- but Al- um, it like, yeah. And there's this bit where he's, it, it discusses the fact that her figure is fuller. It's been five years, her figure's fuller. Yeah. So they, um, the suggestion is she knew him before. And I think somewhere isn't, she's from another story that Chopin wrote. Yes which I found out afterwards. Because like I tend to read things and then read around it afterwards, mm-hmm. which is why I get confused when I read it. Um, and then the other thing, so she's fuller, and then it's talking about like the hair around her, her hair's kinkier and it's kind of curly around her ears. And I don't know, it just felt like a lot of the stuff, a lot of the way that she's described, although it isn't from his point of view, it felt like it was what he was seeing. And so it felt like, very sexualized like all of it i think he is judging her though i think you're right on though i get that feeling i mean just knowing that he's from a different class that he just rides in on his horse and he just like takes what he wants he doesn't care so um jamie actually posted a great thread on the bad facebook page um she said this even as a lifelong reader i've learned of several amazing authors i'd never heard of listening to this podcast but i want more who are some of the underrated women American authors in the public domain? Go. <laughs> so I will say some of the responses were not American, but there are some really good writers in here that we should just like bring attention to really quickly. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Uh, so Kristen suggested Harriet Martineau. Uh, her novel Deerbrook was a favorite of Charlotte Bronte's and she also basically invented sociology and dated Charles Darwin for a while. So yeah, she was pretty awesome. She was pretty cool. She actually is someone that we should um, we should probably cover on the show. I believe she was also friends with Elizabeth Gaskell as well. Okay. 
Yeah, she has a really fun, interesting life. I say fun, interesting. I'd be interested to read something that Charlotte, we know was a favorite of Charlotte Bronte's if she disliked. Like, yeah. I want to see that. I want to like try and figure out what's in that writing that isn't in Austin, you know? So Jennifer Beale, not to be confused with the actress Jennifer Beale, unless it is Jennifer Beale, the actress, and then... Who's Jennifer Beale, the actress? Hello. <laughs> I knew. I was just waiting for you to ask. <laughs> it's a trap. <laughs> um, flash dance and the L word. I haven't seen it. Okay. Moving on. <laughs> yeah. So Jennifer Beale, the actress from Flash Dance, has suggested uh, Susan Glassbell, who I've never actually heard of at all. I feel yeah, terrible. Me either. Surprise! Surprise! <laughs> surprise! Surprise! She says, um. I actually have yet to read one of her novels, but I've enjoyed her plays. She was also a pretty interesting person and fairly ahead of her time. So we always like that here at Bad. Um, Her play Trifles gets used in English classes sometimes, but I think her other works are worth looking into. So yeah, we should look into her. We should. Uh, Lauren, see, I don't like saying people's surnames because of protecting their identity, but this is a Lauren and I know that so... Lauren NH, mm-hmm. not me, <laughs> suggested Catherine Maria Sedgwick. I am not entirely certain, but her The Linwoods seems to be influenced by Austin. So, mm-hmm. yeah. yeah. Look, okay. she's in the show notes. I knew yeah. we'd get Austin. Oh, in there. here she is. Yeah. <laughs> Valentina Burbank. Oh, I'm sorry. I did the surname. Valentina. <laughs> um,. You probably read Willa Cather and Edith no. Wharton. No, no, I haven't read Willa. Um, but if not, they are my first thought. Uh, Mary Roberts Reinhardt was an amazing mm-hmm. woman. She was a writer, war correspondent, and even talked about breast cancer and self-exam before all of that was acceptable. Wow. She wrote detective and mystery fiction, so the cozies, as well as non-genre fiction, She's a bit more modern, so 1920s and beyond on this one. Sarah Orne Jewett is a gem of a writer. She's from New England, and her writing is regional. Okay, so that might be interesting. Get, get some more regional Americans on here. Mm, yeah. Um, she wrote poems, short stories, and novels. She lived the latter half of her life in a Boston marriage with her best friend of many years. I have never heard the term Boston marriage, what but is I a Boston enjoy marriage? it. Siri, I'm... what is a Boston marriage? <laughs> yeah, I want to hear what Siri has to say. I found this. Oh, I thought you were going to read it for me, Siri. Okay. Um, it is a um, the cohabitation of two women, mm-hmm, independent mm-hmm. of financial support from a man. Yeah. And it looks like the term is said to have been in use in New England between the late 19th and 20th century. Uh, some go. of these relationships were romantic in nature and might now be considered a lesbian relationship, others or not. Interesting. Very interesting. Hmm. So Jane Austen was living in a Boston marriage with her best friend and her... Oh no, she was paid for by her family. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know anything. Um, one last writer that Valentina recommends is Anna Catherine Green, and she is really the founder of de- of detective fiction. Okay, okay, and series detective, but of course she is virtually unknown. She wrote stories with a Miss Marple like character, so predating Agatha Christie, and a reluctant girl detective as well as a male sleuth. She's kind of disappointment of a disappointment personally, since she was against suffrage, but still a good read. Okay, interesting. I'm very curious. I also like oh, reluctant I'm girl not detective. About detective fiction. Oh, I love detective I know fiction. You, do. you love Agatha Christie. I'm a, we can uh, read some Agatha. We should maybe we should read it. I just guys listen. My mum and my stepdad watch so much NCIS and CIS Miami and mm-hmm. CIS some other place and mm-hmm. nor i think there's one for new orleans actually and like the just they're all the same and the cats asleep on the car bonnet which breaks your alibi because your car bonnet's warm that's why the cats asleep on it which means you weren't at your house when you said you were going to be there car bonnet the weird oh like the hood of your car okay car bonnet, right um and there's the like, bonnet in the boot 
same. It's so you've seen the murder. You've seen the murderer within the first five minutes of the show. Mm. So just count backwards. If it isn't one of the main characters and it isn't the victim, they probably killed them. So now I don't do any American detective, but I'm all about my British detective fiction. (laughs) (laughs) So maybe I should read it. I just like that just as a genre. I'm just like, no. (laughs) I love it. I have to say it. We should challenge it. I'm also, I mean, this is not appropriate for this show, but I am working my way through the Inspector Morse uh, short stories right now. And the short stories are so funny. Like, I mean, not intentionally, I don't think. Unclear. Like, this one story (laughs) is just about Morse going to a pub, getting really drunk, and then some people go to his flat and they steal a table that he really liked. And that was it. Yeah, I'm sure that's meant to be. And he doesn't, he doesn't like solve the crime. That's just it. Oh. Yeah, I don't think. He's just drunk the whole time. I've really taken us off our notes. I've got to take us back just for one second because of the description of Sarah Orne Jewett, right? And Mm -hmm. this is a word that is used in that description and then you used it. But the word regional when used to describe a woman writer is perhaps problematic, Lauren. Did you know that? I didn't. I actually just were talking like regional as in New England is a place, New Orleans is a place. Yeah, that's okay. exactly. But like, so um, when I was reading my How to Suppress Women Writers, um, there's this whole bit about um, disclassification or when we like wrongly classify things. And so mm-hmm. we make it like really specific and really niche. And so we'll often describe women as being a regional writer because they only write about a specific area, okay. which often in the case of women was because they didn't see a lot else right Mm -hmm. they couldn't travel freely in the same way without chaperones they weren't financially independent often but men will write about one area like how many how many male writers out there who like only write about new york um i can't remember the name that's the example and they're never called regional writers ever i would totally call them a regional writer but yes i understand what you mean (laughs) yeah it's just like another way of like making women's writing like different to men's or like smaller somehow they're not writing Mm -hmm. they're writing regionally it's like so it's just like a little thing just a little thing to think about very interesting okay i like it (laughs) (laughs) how to suppress women writers well we're gonna do a whole episode on it i know but i'm gonna keep bringing it up when i read stuff and i see interesting yeah no you should keep calling it out because we do it. That's why That's why when we read um, the story of an hour, I was like, I don't like this. But then I was like, but why don't I like it? Mm-hmm. Is it because it's too masculine? Is it like, you know? Like- well, you should always ask yourself why you don't like something. And actually, sometimes I think why, if you don't like something, it makes for a better conversation. Well, I don't like anything. No, that's why you're on this show. If you also don't like anything, uh, <laughs> you can find us on social media. Hey, if you hate this show, find us on social media. Come at me. There you go. <laughs> you can you can find us on Instagram and Twitter at bonnets at dawn. You can email us. Well, you can email Lauren bonnets at dawn at gmail.com. And you can find us on Facebook where all of these like interesting discussions and sharing of ideas and author lists and just a wonderful sense of community you can find that on facebook by joining the bonnets at dawn facebook group it's true it's only happening in the bonnets at dawn facebook group that's the only reason i go to facebook it's not happening in other places on facebook no only here only Only here. here yeah all right guys thank you very much for joining us for this episode and we will talk at you next week